Hello, and welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bassett, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditch Witch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined, as always, by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. Bass Edge TV can be seen three times weekly on the Outdoor Channel and also on the World Fishing Network and Wild TV in Canada. Aaron, it looks like we got a pretty good show today. Steve, we have a full lineup. Not only are we heading out to visit uh, with Jared Littner there at Mariner Cove on Bethel Island, also Chris Ball will be joining us, but we have a significant announcement that's going to take place a little bit later in the show that I'm excited about. All right, that sounds great. Let's do it. Get it like that one, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing. Oh, did you see that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. (laughs) Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? That's full contact fishing right there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Aaron, how was your week? Uh, did you get out on the water at all? No, actually, I did not, Steve. And, uh, you know, I was kind of in the office. I hate to use the word slaving away, but, uh, you know, it's oh, kind of that time of I year. I bet you do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of that time of year uh, to where we are getting ramped up, you know, with in-between promotional appearances and uh, getting ready to start filming, as well as what we have going on currently with the season that's airing right now as we speak. So a lot of stuff going on. Well, I know there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, and uh, we all stay busy this time of year. But yeah, some we, of us have to work for a living, you know. Who would that be? <laughs> Poor Aaron has to uh, bebop all over the country and fish the best place with the best fishermen. Well, I'll steal. Our I'll, listeners are just sobbing by I'll, now. I'll steal the title of your book. You know, somebody's got to do it, Steve. <laughs> there, you there you go. I hear you were able to uh, drag yourself away from your desk for a little while. Well, I, you know, I felt like I had to, you know, and. Uh, and actually, my wife kind of pushed me out of the house. She's getting sick of me. But I did. I went down to the White River in Arkansas and did a little uh, trout fishing. And uh, it was okay on day one. And then they shut the generators off and, and messed us up on day two. And that's life on the river with the uh, dam generation. Well, you know, it's that time of year where the generators kind of uh, rule our life. You know, most of the, the reservoirs have, have planned and um as long as they're not still trying to get rid of some of that water that we received uh, earlier in the year. Most of them, you know, are at winter pool. They're ready for the, the spring rains and everything to come in. But, man, that can be just like we've talked about before with tidal fishing and, and current and things like that. That can sure reposition and have an impact on, on the bass. And, obviously, in your case, it had one on the trout. Right. Well, you know, these trout fishermen that fish the tailwaters, the effect of the generators and the power generation is obvious. But bass fishermen need to pay a lot of close attention attention to when they're releasing water because that creates current in the lake and that has a tremendous effect on fish according to where in the country you're fishing. Well, absolutely. And, you know, right now, if you think about it, farther south, they're in a post-spawn situation. In kind of in the Midwest, you know, it's it's pre-spawn. And then obviously uh, in the north, you know, they, they're still trying to get rid of some of that ice. So the current impacts each of those phases, um, regardless of what stage that you're in, you know, it is going to have an impact. You know, we've talked before about uh, moving water holds more oxygen. If a bass, let's say, you know, is trying to fight current, their metabolism is slowed in that colder water. So they're going to more or less try and 
find an ambush point staging outside mm -hmm. of that current to uh, so that they don't have to fight that all day. But in a post-spawn situation, you know, you might find them actually more close, um, more located right in the center of that current. Well, yes, and then, and I know that uh, if you remember when we were down in Lake Eupala in Alabama, we were discovering that when they were running water through the dam and it was creating a current, that the greatest amount of current was coming down the old river channel and if those fish would set up on the trees that were on the banks of that old river channel and would use that as a current break and sit there and ambush uh, the shad that were getting washed through there. So it, current can be a really a really great thing if you understand how to use it. Well, and, and, you know, specifically this week's show, we're on the Delta. You know, you have not only the river current that's affecting uh, where the bass are, but then you have that tide, which, again, is movement of water. It's movement in, and then it's movement back out. And uh, we saw firsthand, and we'll be talking about that a little bit later, but obviously... There's no question that current has a significant impact, and understanding that, where those fish are positioning, can certainly help you put more fish in the boat. And, of course, with the spring rains and the high lakes, uh, something you pay a little more attention to in the spring, I think. Absolutely. You know, uh, not to change the subject here, but you're going to be kind of out uh, and about visiting with some folks, I, I think. Uh, where are you heading exactly? I know yeah, you're heading to Arkansas. Yeah, yeah I'm getting out over. a little bit. I'm going to go out and visit, man. I'm going to have to get a haircut and get cleaned up, <laughs> take a bath, whether I need it or not, you know, go see folks. But uh, but no, I, I'm really excited to get down and see. going to be down in, in Mountain Home, Arkansas on March 13th and 14th at the Baxter County Fairgrounds Exhibition Building for the KTLO and KCTT Outdoor Show. And I'll be there signing books from 11 a.m to 2 p.m., and then on March the 28th, I'm going to be here in Springfield, Missouri at the Backcountry Outfitters Annual Spring Fling, and I'll be signing books uh, from 1 until 3 p.m. at Backcountry. So uh, come on out and see me. And I tell you what, Aaron, the first person at each of these spots that comes up to me and says, I heard it on the edge, I'm going to give a free book. Well, you can't beat that, so there you go. I mean, uh, what a way to uh, to get something in your hands and uh, certainly add that to your reading arsenal. And we've talked about many times, I still get uh, kind of a, a chuckle out of some of the stories that, that I think about that I've read there. So uh, anyway, well, uh, you know, that, that's exciting times. It's coming up, and uh, you're going to be a busy person. You know, and speaking of exciting times, Steve, I've been kind of anxious about the announcement that we're going to make today. Well, you know, today is our 99th podcast. So coming up, we felt like we wanted to do a few special things, and we're going to have some other surprises, but to celebrate our 100th podcast, we're going to have a uh, pretty significant giveaway. Aaron, what are we going to give the folks? Well, you know, we, we've talked a lot about uh, kind of how to structure this, and, and finally, the way that we decided on, on what we were going to give away is just to give one of everything, and uh, that way we don't isolate any one item or any one person, but uh, we've got your book, Somebody's Got to Do It. The winner will receive a copy of that. Also, the Psychology of Exceptional Fishing book by Dr. Jay McNamara. We are going to throw in the Electronics 101 DVD that's been flying off the shelf, the Season 1 and Season 2 DVD, the Go-To Tackle Storage System, the Fishing on the Edge shirt, and a Bass Edge hat. So that uh, full gamut there will go to uh, one lucky winner, and it, it's exclusive only to podcast listeners. We are not putting this out on the website. We're not putting this out on the e-newsletter, on the television show. This is to reward our loyal listeners here on The Edge. Okay, and folks, to enter that, you need to email us at podcast at bassedge.com. That's podcast at bassedge.com. And this giveaway is different than the weekly giveaway on the website. 
And this is one of everything in the Bass Edge inventory. So get those entries in and win you some neat stuff. Yeah, and uh, I'll spell that out real quick just to make sure everybody has the equal opportunity to get that in. That is podcast, and that is P as in Paul, O, D as in dog, C as in cat, A, S as in Sam, T as in Tom. Podcast at BassEdge.com. Yeah, well, I was going to stay away from the spelling. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, that's exciting, and uh, and we got a we, like I say, we got a great interview with Jared Littner coming up. So let's slip away, and on the other side of a break, uh, we'll be anxious to hear what Jared has to say. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow-and-stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow-and-stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, we are back on the edge, and joining us for this week's companion interview with the television show is Mr. Jared Littner, BASS Elite Angler. Jared, thanks so much uh, for being part of the edge. Hey, it's great to be here. You know, I had a really good time. Well, I want to jump in because California, I think, has is, is gotten me so fired up and just being able to spend you know, the time with you here on the Delta. And obviously I know this is where you've, you've spent a lot of time. Yeah. You know, this place has a mystique about it that it's almost like I get chills when I have an opportunity to come here. I'm kind of, I'm kind of bummed now because I'm fishing out East that I don't get to fish, you know, Clear Lake, but especially the Delta because it, it's so hard to master, but yet it, it's something that that's one of my goals. Well, and, and you're talking about being so hard to master is when I saw it, I mean, I've, I literally fell in love with the place, although it can be tough at times, but you're talking about an area that spreads over miles and miles, you know, obviously changes with the tide. There's so many different things that you could do here. You know, there's really something for every angler. Oh, yeah. You can you can fish any way you want to fish on this place. You know, if you're a shallow water guy, you can fish extremely shallow water. If you're a top water guy, you can fish that all day, pretty much all, all year long. Whatever you want to do, you can fish it here. I mean, there's different types of vegetation. There's wood. There's rocks. There's deeper water swings. There's everything. It's so diverse, but it can be challenging, too. Well, and, and then throwing in the tide. Yeah, the tide... The tide is the whole deal here. I've been on this place before, and that, we actually seen a little bit of it. If you're not on the best stuff at the right tide, you won't think there's a bass there. Where in essence, there's tournament winning fish in that area. You have to really pay attention and, and just you know fish in different swings and different times of the day on the different tides will clue you in. Well, and and one of the I think unique approaches that you really went after for. And really, what I gather is from your style that instead of chasing the tide, meaning, you know, trying to get down the, the river or up the river or what have you to catch back up with the water level that you're after, you would prefer to kind of stay there and, and figure out ways to get them to respond. Well, yeah, you know, that's always been my, uh, the way I fish the Delta. Just, I think a lot of it's because of my background, you know, fishing a lot of small reservoirs and, and uh, man-made lakes and things like that, where you're fishing areas. And I kind of adopted that to here, even though it might not be the way to fish it. But I feel like if I find an area with fish throughout the course of a day and I know that they're there, they're not going to swim, you know, down to the next canal. They're, they're there. 
if you figure out how to catch them pretty much on low, high, and slack, which is the hardest time to catch them, you've done something special. But at the same time, you know, the guys that are running those tides, in other words, they got 25, 30 key spots throughout the delta, and they basically start at one end, you know, either east or west, and they run it, they're chasing it because the tide is different by 15 minutes, you know, every, I think it's every mile and a half or something. So they're keying in on specific little spots to catch those bass that are setting up at the exact right tide. That is very difficult to do, and you got to spend a lot of time here. Well, and obviously, you know, from a production standpoint, you know, for filming the show, it wasn't like we said in one place either. You know, when you put together the plan, uh, you more or less said, hey, we are going to try a variety of baits, and we're going to try a variety of techniques techniques just to see you know what it will take to get the right combination well yeah exactly you know i mean this place can be a really really good crankbait and rattle trap and spinnerbait you know reaction type style baits but a lot of times you know you're just going to catch smaller fish generally this time of year you know the bigger ones are in the vegetation they're up underneath the mats or they're around the grass and just by you know over the course of years and years i've i've had little areas where i've caught them and uh just running and doing different things sticking with the grass mainly but trying different baits and different times of the day different tides eventually you know you'll figure out you know where the feeding bass are well and you know even though you are familiar with the delta we started out uh literally just right outside there of where you were staying uh, mariner cove or i believe right on that bank mm-hmm. and you know throwing some different baits but I-, I want you to walk us through kind of the the decision process there but before we get away from just kind of what to expect at the delta a lot of these areas that we had to search for the right kind of vegetation and grass because so much of it had changed since the last time you were here right you know i mean i haven't been up here in two years now and the last time I was actually up here was in March. So a lot of the vegetation hadn't even grown. So in my mind, coming up here, I hadn't had a chance to practice. I remember all these grass mats and all this hydrilla and, and everything. And, and I got up here and a lot of these areas were like a ghost <laughs> town. There's nothing but sand. So that kind of threw me for, you know, a big loop. So, we, you know, we made a decision to start out on some rocks, which is pretty much a standard here. You can generally always catch them on a crankbait or a rattle trap, you know, on channel swings. That's a big deal because the current will rip around these little points and hit these little bends and create a perfect situation for ambush spots for a bass. But like it happened, we just caught a bunch of small ones. Now, you know, just by running and hitting some key spots, finding the right type of grass, what, what we were looking for is not necessarily thick, gnarly grass that grows all the way to the bottom, but we were looking for the nice canopy type stuff that grows in protected areas. Those big bass will sit right underneath there and absorb the shade, and it's a perfect situation for throwing top water or even punching. Well, that was evident just by making a, probably a three-quarter of a mile you know, run right out to the where that canal came kind of into the main bay there. There was a point, there was a grass bed, I think what they call that hippie grass, that's really what clued us in. I mean, even though we knew we were going to look for grass, just by making that change, boom, we pulled out there and got two, you know, really nice bites. This time of year up here, the fish want to have current around them, either incoming, outgoing, whatever. They want to be in that heavy flow. So that situation that you're talking about was perfect just because it was really exposed to both swings of the tide. And we actually hit it on an incoming and the grass was laid over perfect. And, you know, 
the grass grows straight up, but it was making a perfect canopy, and those fish were just sitting underneath it, absorbing all the current flow that was coming in, and the bait fish were getting rushed over that little point and uh, capitalized. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, I think the next decision then was to kind of uh, bounce around maybe on a few other similar grass mats, but ultimately moving into some of the, the canals and completely changing the type of vegetation. Right, right. I mean, we, we tried some different various types of vegetation where I've caught them in the past and uh, really didn't work out. Had a couple bites, but it seemed like the fish this week were kind of non-aggressive. And a lot I think a lot of that had to do with there wasn't a heavy swing of the tide. I mean, sometimes you'll get a four to five foot swing where the water's actually dropping four and raising five, you know, within a period of a day. So there's a lot of water movement and the fish get really aggressive just based on the time of the year. We ended up ultimately running into some of those canals that I've caught them in the past. And what makes it special about that, even though they were dead end sloughs, they had constant current either coming in or going out and the water was clean. You know, it had deep water access right there and it made a perfect situation for catching fish. Yeah. And the one canal in particular, I mean, even though, uh, you know, we had a great period of time in that canal, but it was very ironic because we started out and comment on about paying attention because there was some things that happened. You know, first we targeted the stuff that was out in the middle and then we kind of heard some stuff going on on the edges and then we wound up back in the middle. I mean, it was the wildest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when these fish get active up here, you can hear the little bluegills sucking up underneath the mat. They make like a little ticking sound. And a lot of times if the little bait fish are doing that, the bass are very aware of what's going on and, and they'll start feeding. So we started hearing a bunch of activity going on and, and we're looking around, they're blowing up everywhere except for around the boat. And uh, just by making a real subtle change and just using the trolling motor and getting across 50 feet, got into the feeding fish and, and it was fun there for a while. Yeah. And, and you know, the thing is that going back to decisions like we've talked about before, had we not been paying attention, we could have missed that whole string of bites. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a lot of it too, is when you're fishing a, a confident area that you have, you feel like you're going to get bites and you're you're more energized, if you will, or you're really focused on what's going on around you. And uh, when you're kind of just running and checking areas and you're just hoping basically to get lucky. But when you know that there's fish in an area, you're way more intense and you can really pick up on what's going on and you you know the tendencies of that area. So if we would have just went in there and fished for 15 minutes and didn't have a bite and blow out of there, we would have missed that whole deal. But just by kind of grinding it out, like we were talking about earlier, and really buckling down in there and not force feeding them, but just kind of waiting for them to tell us what's going on. And had we been, you know, chasing something and, and I'm not, again, I'm not making a stereotype type here that chasing a tide is wrong because there's a lot of guys that uh, you know can probably eat our lunch by doing that. Oh, yeah. But the thing is that had we been running the big motor or scrambling instead of having our lines in the water, we would have missed that whole feeding window. Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about earlier. You know, I'll pick areas. You know, if I was in a tournament, I'd, I'd run around, check a bunch of spots. The areas with the most activity and the mo- most bites i grind it out in those areas because I know that there's fish there. I'm not necessarily running and chasing one, one or two bites. I'm fishing for five to 15 bites in one little spot. You know, I mean, if we would have gone in there, like I just said, and, and made one pass down that down the right side, and I think we had one little bite yeah. and turned around and fired up and went to the next slough, we just left a whole ton of feeding fish in there. That's the whole problem with the Delta. You know, it's so hard to figure out as far as should I leave 
or should I stay? Because, I mean, if we were to spend like another two hours in there, which we could have easy and not gotten a bite, then it's a very poor decision to stay. But it didn't turn out that way. And uh, that's the whole deal. We can go in there the very next day and not even get a bite. Well, and the thing is, it was fast and furious and it was fun, but man, did they shut off as quickly as they turned on. Yeah, we went from, you know, one or two bites within a half an hour to 10 to 15 and 20 minutes, you know, and that'll that'll happen. You know, it seemed like in there, they didn't want that real, when we first got in there, the current was ripping in there. All the weeds were laid pretty much, you know, at a 45. I mean, it was coming in and usually you can catch them this time of year because the water's so warm. But for some reason, they didn't want that. When it got almost peaked out and the water flow started to kind of ease up, there was maximum water depth underneath all that grass, still a little bit of flow, that's when they were just going off. And the bad thing is that a little special spot like that will only last for half an hour, 45 minutes, maybe an hour if you're lucky. doesn't ever seem that way in a tournament, though. But when you, when you have those kind of areas, you better be there at that right time or else, you know, you, you see what can happen. Yeah, that, that's a, a, another good point. And speaking of time and being there, comment very quickly here in our, our closing thoughts about navigating, you know, the Delta because, you know, it, it's pretty intimidating, but help set the record straight, I guess, if you will. Well, you know, when I first came up here, this was before GPS. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was very intimidating. You know, you, you're putting, I was putting my beloved bass boat on this place where I've heard all these, you know, you're ripping your motor off. But really, you know, the first thing I did was kind of get a focal point on, you know, I use this mountain range to the west of us. And I knew where that was, and I knew that's where the ramp was. And then you just take your time. You know, the biggest problem an angler can make on any body of water they don't know is getting in a hurry. And that's where you're going to get into trouble. You're going to tear something up. You're going to do something stupid, you know. And I mean, still, I don't really run it like some of the locals do just because this place, I mean, you can come around any corner and there'd be a 40-foot yacht staring. Well, and not only that, but it's a river. It's a changing dynamic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, every year the sandbars change just based on the flow of the current. You know, somebody might break down a boat in the middle of a slough and just pull the drain plug and all of a sudden you got a major (laughs) structure problem (laughs) right in your favorite little slough. I mean, you just never know on this place. You know, and and finally, then we'll get out of here. I was really shocked because the, the Delta is, with all the canals and the backwater systems, it's very, very friendly to anglers that want to fish from the bank. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, some of the spots we went to, literally, you could have walked both sides of the canal and and done just the same thing. Yeah, there's a big-time amount of people that fish here, especially in the spring. They just walk down the levees. I mean, a real real obstacle running down this delta is you'll come around some of these major bends, and there's these guys sitting on the bank, and they have a bomb of a cast out there with a big old catfish deal on there, and and you come around, and you'll wipe out all their lines, and that's not a good situation because they're waiting for you to come back out of that canal. Sure. Well, thank you so much. It was a, it was really really good time, not only on the water but also for the interview. Any closing thoughts, Jared, before we get out of here? Well, you know, I, I had a great time also, Aaron. I learned a lot and uh, look forward to doing it again. And and I invite anybody that that has any questions about fishing the Delta or accommodations or really any question to get on to BassEdge.com and shoot me an email and I'll be happy to respond. Well, there you have it, Jared Littner. Uh, get an email to him under Ask the Pros. Jared, best of luck and uh, again, thank you so much for taking time out to spend it here on the Edge. Hey, thanks a lot. I had a great time. Power. Productivity. Speed. It's the best trencher ever made. Not to mention the best plow. Dumper. 
Tiller, Backhoe, Stump Grinder, and Tool Carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution, is here. Hi, I'm James Niggemeyer, and you're listening to The Edge. Well, me and Aaron is tough listening to that interview. You guys talking about the Delta. Of course, you know that's that's one of the ones I didn't get to go on. And, man, I'm anxious to get out to that picture. Well, it was tough for me to listen to it, and I was there. And, uh, you know, it certainly brought back a lot of a lot of memories. Uh, just a, a really, really good time, you know, the time of year that we were there. Uh, and also fishing with Jared. I, I just can't say enough about that. I mean, the Delta is just such a unique place, and I've really developed this fondness for tidal systems. And I think a lot of that stems from, you know, just growing up fishing small streams and rivers mm-hmm. and knowing and understanding you know the current and the other thing is I think as an angler we talk a lot about challenges and, and about figuring out the fish and if you think about a river system but also then throw in the tide it's such a changing dynamic and so therefore you're dealing with so many different variables that throw a lot more to into the equation and at first glance that can seem a little bit intimidating but really when you think about it and when you when you witness what is transpiring throughout the course of the day as these tides shift and move it's in my opinion a lot easier steve um, because you know that the fish are going to be really focused around the movement of that water and when those tides are moving in or moving out. Well, yeah, you know, it struck me when he said, because of the tides, you need to be in the right place at the right time. And I think to a, a new fisherman, that can be sort of a daunting or intimidating uh, sort of concept, but the pros and experienced guys, they look at that as an advantage. They know when to be where. And so learning those tides can be the difference in a great day and a skunk. And he also talked about how the fish want to be in the current, whether the tide's coming in or going out. And this is just like we talked about in our first segment. We talked about dam generation there, but here again, tide creates those same currents and those same flows, and that's just important to learn how to deal with those. Well, precisely, and, and you know, if you look at kind of the history of Bass Edge of, of tidal waters that we've filmed from, you know, the Hudson to the Potomac to Chafalaya to, the, you know, the Delta twice, I find it very interesting that the anglers that we have filmed with, there's a thought process out there about running the tides because obviously, you know, the farther away from, the ocean that you get, that that tide, you can actually follow the tide or that movement of water and outrun uh, that tide to catch up with it, to constantly fish a certain flow or a certain level. But each of the anglers that we have filmed with don't really get caught up into, you know, doing that run-and-gun strategy. And I think that's important to remember. And, you know, when I ask them why, it comes down to because if you miss or make a wrong calculation, you can essentially ruin the entire part of, of your day. So what they are keying on is being in their primary spots when the flow and the tide gets to where they want, and then in between time trying to pick up a few fish here and there. And I think that's something to remember is keep your line in the water, not your necessarily your, your throttle you know, wide open um, because that's, that's right. going, to, going to ultimately pay off some big dividends. Well, I thought Jared said something else very important to not only the Delta but all lakes, and that's pay attention to your navigation. And when you get a little turned around, don't get in a hurry. Take your time and find your way out. I know I've been sort of turned around. I won't say lost, but I've been turned around on a few lakes. And if you just take your time and pay attention, uh, you know, you, you'll have a lot better day if you spend your time fishing than trying to find where you're at. Well, exactly. And, and you know, back to what we were stating earlier as far as what do you do when the tide is not moving, let's say on a slack tide is kind of the terminology there. And Jared was really keying in 
on you know the alley, what we call the alleyways, which is that space of water between the actual shoreline and where the vegetation starts to grow. So instead of, let's say, concentrating on the isolated mats, one of the techniques that we did on the show that worked very, very well was picking up baits and targeting that five or six feet of space, those alleyways in between those grass lines and the shoreline. And those fish would really be staging on any shoreline cover, maybe a lay down, maybe some tules, or they might be holding on the edge of that where that uh, vegetation started. You bring that bait parallel down that alleyway, they will come out of off of that structure on the shoreline or out of that grass bed and eat it. And that was a very unique perspective learned a lot there man we're gonna have to make it back out there soon <laughs> i want to go <laughs> no. <laughs> no but uh, man in the meantime we got a listener question yes we do and, who's that from and well we got it from mike lasers down in del rio texas i bet he's an amstead no i bet so looks like he fishes carolina rigs mike wants to know when covering deeper water with carolina rigs why don't the pros use their trolling motors and slow troll the rig like walleye angers doesn't this keep the presentation in the strike zone longer? I rarely see the pros use this technique. They're always casting Carolina rigs, which are somewhat cumbersome to cast long distances. That is a great question, Mike, and uh, we threw that out to James Negemeyer. And uh, James basically states, I think both methods can work, but structure fishing can be, as they say, like finding a needle in a haystack. Fish can use all the area on a given structure spot. What I think you're seeing is a pro angler's attention to detail in the form of a sweet spot. The sweet spot can be a rough bottom of rock, a shell bed, or a brush pile. Things will tend to gang fish up around the particular ambush point. Hard to find, but typically it holds the biggest fish in a given area. Pros want to be efficient and will pay special attention to detail to that area to catch the heaviest weight in the shortest amount of time. With this in mind, boat control or boat positioning is paramount. So the angler can make repeated presentations to the spot. Additionally, in a competition, holding your ground will keep fellow competitors from moving in. Thanks for the question and good fishing, James Niggemeyer. You know, one thing, Steve, I was not a whole lot to add there, but as far as when you're talking about sweet spots and finding, you know, the mm-hmm. the rough areas or the harder bottoms or maybe a brush pile, it all comes back to electronics, and I think that's what a lot of right. anglers depend on, like we talk about in the electronics video, um, is getting you closer to finding that sweet spot on those particular areas that you're fishing. Well, I know that uh, using your trolling motor to drag jigs along gravel banks is popular among some of the guys here in the Ozarks, but that's good advice from James. And, Mike, it's always good to hear from you, good to hear from our folks down in Texas, and uh, let us know uh, how fishing is down there, Mike. Please do. Make us envious. <laughs> well, Aaron, let's slip away for a minute and come back with a great interview with Chris Ball. And remember, when we come back after that interview, be ready for our product giveaway. It's all right here on The Edge. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. I'm Dave Wolak, and you're on the edge. 
right, welcome back. And joining us, as we mentioned, is Western Pro Angler Chris Ball on the topic of frog techniques. Chris, thanks so much for being part of The Edge. How you doing, Aaron? Hey, I'm doing great, man. Excited to talk with you because you know what? That water is getting warmer. The air temperatures are warming up, and that means uh, one thing. We are getting closer to frog time. Yeah, we're getting ready for frog time. It, it sure definitely isn't down in my neck of the woods right now. Uh, the way that you and I fished when we did the uh, the show, we had 102-degree weather. <laughs> yeah. We're not even close to that now. Yeah. But uh, it is getting close. Well, you know, speaking of which, uh, how do you determine when you're going to start picking up that frog? There's a few ways that I can determine it. The biggest factor right now is is water temperature. And I think anywhere across the nation, not just out here out west, but anywhere across the nation, the golden temperature for me is 65 degrees. If I can find that 65-degree water, and that's not to say you can't get bit in less, but 65 is pretty much the golden rule for me. And kind of what we're talking about there is, is just high percentage. Like I always tell people, you know, it doesn't mean that there's not fish holding shallow versus deep, but you're using general rules of thumb to help put you in the best position to succeed. Yes, sir. Yeah, at 65, you're, you're, you're going to always find shallow fish, but that 65, that's when those fish start to say, hey, you know what, it's time to get up there shallow start looking for spawning areas, things like that. And with that frog, it's it's kind of a numbers game. So as that water hits that 65 and above, you get more fish up there. The more fish you have up shallow, the more options you're going to have to catch them with that frog. Well, and if you look at kind of the landscape now, you know, there's numerous different uh, frog-style baits that's out there. Let's break it down into two categories, and perhaps you can shed a little bit of light on when you use the two. One is the swimming frog. The mm-hmm. second is the hollow body. Could you perhaps describe those quickly and also when you actually go to uh, to each of those baits? Yeah, well, this time of the year, once again, that 65-degree temperature water is the key. I'll have I'll have four rods on the deck. I'll have a, a, a kicker frog, the snag-proof kicker frog, which is a swimming frog, and then I'll have the snag-proof pro frog. I usually start off with the search bait, which is my, my swimming frog, and I'm, I'm kind of moving that around similar to a buzz bait. This time of the year... We don't have as thick a weed, so that's where that swimming frog really comes into play. Now, as I'm moving around from bay to bay or cove to cove, and I start to find some thicker weeds, then I'll go with the hollow body frog and work that frog very slow on top of the mats. And that's one of the keys this time of the year. Is Regardless of whether you're using a swimming frog or the, the hollow body frog, you want to take your time and work it slow. Cover a lot of water, but as you're actually fishing that frog, take your time and fish it slow. So is it safe to say that as the year progresses and that vegetation you know, starts growing and becomes thicker that you're relying a little bit more on the hollow body? Big time. Once that, those weeds start to get thick, whether it's matted weeds or whether it's moss, regardless of what the, the cover is, I go to that, that hollow-bodied frog. Now, in between areas of matted grass and things like that, especially in the morning time, I'll throw that swimming frog. And that's simply because of the effectiveness of, you know, being able to work the bait. The swimming frog, on one hand, you know, has to have kind of movement to, to create the or generate the action, whereas yeah. the hollow body is more of, a, of something that you can throw out on top of the mat, and it's going to attract them from beneath. Yeah, and that's where that, that swimming frog really comes into play. As, as If you've got five or six different areas that have matted vegetation, as in between those areas, you can pick up that swimming frog, and a lot of times you can pick up a bonus fish doing that. And then as you get to the matted areas, then you slow down, make a good pitch or make a good throw, get that frog up on top of that matted vegetation, and then hope that she ruins your day. Quickly on the water clarity, does that have an impact on when you use the frog? You know, it, it does. I prefer the water to be ultra clear, but uh, as you saw when we fished out here, prior to our show, we had two days of 40-mile-an-hour winds, which really dirtied up the water. Now, those shallow fish, once they're shallow, they'll pretty much stay shallow, but gin clear is the absolute awesome way to catch them 
But stained water will work, too. If it gets real muddy, then, then I kind of stick with that swimming frog. Sure. Kicks up a little more action, draws a little more attention. Definitely. And then also, uh, you know, little tricks. There's little nuances, I know, that, that you are kind of the master at as far as doing things to your frog. You know, maybe it's in trimming the skirt. Maybe it's the colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you run through uh, a few of those? Sure. One of the things that, you know, the, the, the snag-proof frog right out of the package catches them. But there, there's a few tricks that you can do to, um, you know, get your, your bite ratio to go up. The first thing I do is I, I make sure that I've got a rattle in it. Most of the frogs come with a stock rattle in it. That is just fine as it is. The other thing I do is I'll trim up those legs. Um, as you can see in some of the pro tips videos that we do on BassEdge.com, I show a video on there on how to trim up those legs. The other thing that I'll do is I'll either take a Sharpie and put some marks on the frog, or I like to use dye at times too, red dye, yellow dye, to touch up those skirts. Just add a little bit different color to it. Snagproof has a thing out now called the Frog Works, which is a kit to actually modify your frog. So if anybody's interested in that, Take a look at the Snagproof Frog Works kit. So excellent. You have all everything you need right there. To everything is in there. The markers, the scissors, I mean everything. It's an absolutely awesome kit to modify your frogs. And, and, I, and I'm here to tell you, uh, like I said before, the frog out of the package standard is an awesome bait. But there's a lot of tricks that you can do to um, improve your bites and uh, catch a few more fish. And, and it's just fun to modify them anyways. Everybody likes to to tweak their baits and uh, you know when you take a bait and you tweak it a little bit and customize it to your own liking and you catch a big fish on it it's very rewarding well no question there and you know in our closing uh, minute here one thing that we can't forget is the importance of the rod that you choose to throw that frog on because as we've seen you know you're bringing that out of some pretty thick stuff sometimes can you talk about what your rod choice is and why you choose that yeah, real important. Uh, number one, we'll start with the reel. It's a high-speed reel is real important, and braided line is absolutely a necessity. With the, the swimming frog, I like to use a medium-heavy flipping stick. It's got a little tip to it. That way you can throw it, you can pitch it, and you're not in real heavy matted vegetation throwing that swimming frog, so you don't have to worry about having to move that fish. It, 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 it's a real nice light tip, and you can pitch it and throw it around, hit your targets, blah, blah, blah. With the hollow-bodied frog, you need an 8-foot rod that is an absolute broomstick. It's it's important because when they eat that bait, as you can see in our pro tips videos and in the show we did, Aaron, when that fish eats that bait, you've got to be able to hit her and get her coming or you're going to have to go get her in all those weeds. I've got a, a, a rod that I'm working on right now with Phoenix rods, actually two rods. They're called the Super Flippers. They're combination frog rod and punching rods, and they're absolutely awesome rods for moving those fish. Well, and, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing those because, I mean, as we saw right there on the show, I mean, it's so important to make sure that you have equipment that can handle what what you're doing on the business end. And finally, one quick thing because you brought it up. Always have a pitching bait to be able to follow in as a chase bait. Always have a follow-up bait. Always. I usually have two on the deck. I'll have a a 4-inch tube bait with a 3-quarter to 1-ounce tungsten weight on there and a 5-aught hook. What you want to do, as soon as that fish approaches that bait, if she misses it, reel that frog in, drop it, and get that bait right in her hole. And usually, if that fish is hot enough, as soon as you get that follow-up bait in there, she's going to hit it within the first four inches of the drop. So as soon as you pitch or flip that bait into that hole, you have to be on the clock because she's going to eat it within the first three or four inches of that fall. And once again, as soon as she eats it, don't wait. Hammer them and get them moving. Well, as always, Chris, always full of good information. Appreciate your time. Any closing thoughts uh, before we get out of here? Uh, no, it's good to talk to you again, Aaron. I think one of the things that, that we had talked about before, um, you know, if, if any of our listeners have any questions regarding the frog fishing or any fishing in general, they can always go to our pro tips on the website there, 
you know, ask the question, and I'd be glad to answer it. Well, excellent. You're always uh, so sharing with your time. And for those listeners who uh, maybe have not seen, you can also go to BassEdge.com and see that uh, perfect 10 cannonball that you did off the front of the deck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we ever get to do this again, i got a little special thing for you. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. Well, Chris, unfortunately, we are out of time. Take care, my friend, and look forward to talking with you in the future. Aaron, it was great to talk to you. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. Well, that was great stuff, and we sure appreciate Chris for being with us. Aaron, what are we giving away today? We have a giveaway that will go out to Joe from Manassas, Virginia, and he will receive the Electronics 101 DVD and Bass Edge decal. Well, it's good to hear from Joe, and always good to hear from Virginia. And thanks to all of you who entered. And don't forget to enter our big 100th episode giveaway. Just email your entry to podcast at BassEdge.com to receive one of everything on the Bass Edge shelf. We need to have that here by March 16, 2009 at noon. There again, it's podcast at BassEdge.com, and we'll shut it down at March 16, 2009 at noon and draw for one of everything on the Bass Edge Shield. Well, make sure uh, we get the entries in. Unfortunately, Steve, you are not allowed to enter, um, so oh. don't waste your time by sending that in. Oh, man, that's wrong. Well, I'm going to get in there and pilfer and give me some good stuff anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, unfortunately, Steve, we are out of time. And uh, who do we have up next week? Well, we're visiting with Pam Martin-Wells. Uh, we visited with her down in Florida when we had a great trip down there. And we'll also have elite pro Mark Tucker. Well, join us uh, for this show on the Outdoor Channel, where Bass Edge is seen three times weekly, Thursdays, 8 a.m., Fridays, 9 a.m., and Saturdays at 2.30 all Eastern time. For the latest Bass Edge information, merchandise, and the opportunity to win prizes and ask the pro questions, be sure to log on to BassEdge.com. For Steve Brigman, I am Aaron Martin, and we look forward to seeing you again next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edge's The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Mega Wear Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.